0: You're listening to an Artache podcast. There's a new breeding town, slicing upwards through the dead breeze of the baby boomers all-dominating and fast-deteriorating economic canopy. And I'm not talking about artists in this instance. I'm referring to the agitators, the instigators, changemakers who are actively out there hacking new pathways for new generations, the innovative approaches to dealing with art, artists and the industry as a whole. With me today, I have one of the Nobel breed, Charles Nino of Bowbank Nino, an auction house on the corner of Krangahapi Road and East Street. Well seated by now, Bowerbank Nino first opened its doors late 2015. Their point of difference, they were the first auction house that also ran as a gallery. Art, eight. Art eight. How's that working out for you? Can you tell us how that how
1: that works? Well, it's it's working um, very well uh, for us. I mean, at the time when we f- when we opened, uh, it was a it was it was kind of a new model that um, that people found. Uh, You know, like people had maybe difficulty getting their heads around. So the way it works practically is that we produce uh, four auction catalogs a year, and we have a program of about 10 exhibitions per year. Um, Another thing that's quite important, um, an important aspect of our business, is going to art fairs. So this year we went to uh, the London Art Fair, we participated in the Auckland Art Fair, And um, we did two art fairs in Melbourne, uh, Spring 1883 and the Melbourne Art Fair. So it's an interesting mix because it means that we're promoting uh, work both from uh, the past um, through our auction and secondary market sales program and uh, work from the present day. And um, yeah.
0: Do you have... uh artists on your books or as in part of your stable in the same way that a traditional dealership yeah would.
1: absolutely absolutely there's there's a group of artists that we represent and invest quite a bit of money into promoting uh, you know the you know, advertising their work in m- magazines, uh, both here and overseas, um, and as I say, taking their work to art fairs. So, yeah, we have a we have a group of artists that we represent and um, promote.
0: How does it work for you when you t- uh, go to an art fair and you've got your artists that you're promoting? Do you, how do you pull? an international client into one of your auctions? or Is that just not really something that works? In no,
1: it? no, yeah, no, it doesn't really work in that way. I mean, uh, through the art fairs, I mean, really you're using those as an opportunity to uh, promote uh, one of your artists to an international audience and sell their work into a, in a market that is in a different city. Um, so it's quite separate from the auctions in, in, in a way.
0: Do you take the some of the older auctional
1: no 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 not at all i mean um when we do art fairs it's sort of a it's a very um
0: classic dealership kind of scenario
1: yeah like it's like when we do art fairs we we treat it like an exhibition so it's we, we think about it very carefully um so there'll always be sort of a conceptual rationale behind what we're doing it's not necessarily just taking work to sell um i mean obviously you know that's 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 a great thing if you can sell it but uh, for us it's more important to make uh, cohesive um, and interesting exhibitions so most of the time what we do it'll be a solo artist presentation or um, you know a a curated uh, combination of perhaps uh, you know two or three artists but we think very carefully about that so we use those as opportunities to make you know exhibitions that will be seen by uh, you know a a wide audience.
0: Yes, and that's actually a very contemporary way to uh, to operate is being more aware of the story and the connection with the artist. Because once people can make that connection, they actually retain it a lot more than if they're just hammered with a pile of images and one person telling them that this is art and buy it, which does seem like that has been the case for some time. (sighs) So Baobank Nino is reasonably established now. During its journey... It's bound to have hit some interesting road bumps along the way. Can you tell us a bit about some of the more harrowing situations you've found yourself in?
1: Well, I mean, you know, as with any new business, you, you, you yeah, there's always, you learned so much um, along the way. I mean...
0: Well, I saw that you had a pile of hay bales in, an, in a hotel elevator.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was there was a sticky situation. Um, so uh, we did a show um, with an artist called Sam Thomas, at uh, an art fair called Spring 1883 in Melbourne. And that fair is, I guess, it's an interesting model because rather than taking place in sort of like an event centre or something like that, like a traditional art fair, it takes place in a hotel. So every gallery gets... Ah! Yeah, yeah. So every gallery gets... um, uh you know a hotel room and uh they display their work in there you know in in, in place of a traditional booth so uh one of the things about that hotel is you're not allowed to put any nails um in the wall because you're only there for three days and you know it turns right back into a functional hotel uh right after you've been there so you have to figure out a sort of um, inventive ways of displaying the work so the artist that we were working with um Developed this idea of hanging his paintings on hay bales, and um, it was sort of a reference to a Hieronymus Bosch painting called the Haywain. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, obviously we had to get the hay bales into the into the hotel somehow, and. Um, yeah it it ended up being like i don't i know i i had no experience um with hay bales you know well they're quite they're actually quite like when you move a lot of them are quite heavy they're very dusty and like you know they look like uh you know like they hold together really well um Mm -hmm. but they they totally don't and so yeah like we and the other thing is like the the back entrance to uh, you know hotels um they, you know, they they're like directly linked to the kitchen. So when we were taking these things through, we we're taking them through the kitchen, and there's like people ducking in and around us with like, uh, you know, trays of food, and yeah, like uh, there was a lot of apologising to do after that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> ah, day.
0: Okay, so you went to Elam, as did Simon. Um, many many people say the best dealers uh, came from art school. What, attracts, what, what attracted you to art in the very first instance?
1: Uh, I mean, I you know, like, I always liked it. Yeah, I always liked it. So, like, the first way I think anyone... Um,
0: like as a 12-year-old.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, as a teenager. I mean, even as a kid, I always liked it. And then, obviously, as a teenager, you know, you get more interested in it. And you look at books and, you know... like, uh, And so, like, the, the first, you know, like, the natural thing to do is, if you like it, is to sort of try and make some. Um, and so that's... Yeah, I guess that's why... That's why I went there because I liked art. Yeah. What
0: was your work like, Elan? What were you focused on?
1: Uh, and it's
0: okay if you're ashamed of it. <laughs> I expect you will be. Uh,
1: I don't think I was focused on anything in particular. You know, that's that's the thing. Like that's that's art school. I were mean, you, you painting,
0: know. or were you sculpting, or were you photographing? <laughs> photographing.
1: Uh,
0: Come on, give us something. I can't
1: remember, Amy. Oh, that is bullshit. I can't bullshit. remember. Yeah, I can't remember. Okay, okay. Yeah.
0: That's okay. We'll move along. Um, right, so you and Simon cut your teeth in the art auction trade by working. Where?
1: Uh, we worked at like an auction house called Webbs. Ah, um, that's right. Yeah.
0: At some point, you began being young and restless. You obviously decided you could do better. What was the transition like for you? And what advice would you give budding art auctioneers?
1: Oh uh, yeah. Uh, it was it was it was a great time. Um like it was very exciting and it happened all quite quickly. I mean, um, you know, uh, once we decided to do it, um I think uh what advice would I give to other butting out auctioneers? I think I uh, <laughs> do just it no just uh <laughs> just 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 uh jump right in um and just i don't yeah, that's great I mean, advice yeah that's yeah. the best you, yeah no
0: matter how much training you have you are gonna learn some serious you're stuff gonna learn you you're gonna learn some lessons along
1: the way but it was it was it was yeah. a great time and like uh great fun um yeah
0: your work, uh, your book includes long-form essays around certain artists what drives the decision as to who to write about and who to commission
1: Oh that's that's an interesting question. Um, we put a lot of thought into um, into uh, the written part of our catalogues, and I think what what um, what drives the decisions about what we write about is like is is the content there. So often, what we'll try to do is um, we try to write much long, quite long essays, and. For us it's important to commission very good content uh, because we keep all of our essays um, online and we have a database of um, every artwork that we've, that we've ever sold on our website. And so all of our essays uh, remain accessible uh, through that medium. So they, once they've been in a catalog, they go online and they're sort of there for perpetuity. Um, when we can um, consign works by certain artists, what we try to do is sort of build out on that. So if we get a great work by say, an artist like Francis Uprichard, um, you know, um, I'll, I'll make an effort to sort of uh, try to build um, sort of a, you know, build other works around that. So maybe get another work from a different part of her um, sort of uh, career. And uh, so that we have sort of a broad representation of their work. So um, generally, um, we produce essays that speak to multiple works and try to, uh, yeah, give quite a an in-depth view of an artist's work. So, uh, yeah, it's a combination of it's a combination of factors, um, but if we think that there's something there to write about and something that people should be educated about, and something, you know, we also try to um, tell people things they might not have necessarily heard before. So, um, you know, we'll commission um, essays on artists who have had not had a great deal written about them um, in recent times, um, and we commission uh, essays on artworks that we think are important and that we think people should know more about, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's an interesting question, and there's there's a variety of factors, and also it you know it depends on um, who the the writer has a connection with, yeah.
0: Okay, so when you it, it is interesting pitching out to writers. Who do so it is? How do you go around allocating artists, or do you give writers an option? Of- we
1: yeah, we actually we actually generally will give them like when we approach a writer because uh, we. We want to work with, we always try, we try to work with really good writers. Yeah. And uh, you know, our view is they, we want them to really write about the work. So we don't approach them and say, hey, we want you to like, we want you to sell this work. And we're commissioning you just to do this particular work. What we'll usually do is approach them and um, tell them what we've got and see what, you know, they're interested in writing in. I mean, sometimes, uh, you, know, I, you know, we will talk to them and say, I thought this would be a nice fit for you. I mean, does it seem like something you'd be interested in writing on? You know, yeah. Um, yeah.
0: It definitely shows with uh, writers if they're passionate about the artist. It, it comes through, it just has so much more buoyancy. Yeah. Um, so looking at the auction, which is uh, coming up on the uh, uh, evening of the 28th of November, um, the role of the phone and bidder, is very intriguing to me. What happens if you get thirty phone in bidders, and I this is just a hypothesis? How do you go about getting phone handlers? Is that what they're called?
1: Uh, yeah, me. yeah. It's it's that's it is. I'm glad you're asking about that. It's a fascinating part of the whole process. So, um, when we um, are marketing Outworks, we kind of we're doing it to uh, predominantly like a national audience from all over, you know, from all over the country, and then also there are you know people who participate from outside of new zealand as well um generally the people who are buying from us will be new zealanders but they might you know live somewhere like london or singapore or you know hong kong um and so they, they can't attend the auction it's a really interesting process so we have uh a number of people who who uh do the phone bids generally uh they're all people who work for us um so uh they've you know been well well trained and it's an interesting process because it's 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 actually quite fun it's quite fun um sort of being on the phone with someone and talking them through uh buying something i mean uh you know like we have had as many as I, I don't know what the most phone bids we've had on something is, but uh, you know we have capacity to do quite a few, and I think if we had thirty phone bids, um, you know we would we'd definitely um, we'd definitely you know we'd so, definitely make it work. So
0: how would it? I I'm very, I want to be a phone handler. <laughs> um, how would it work? So you've got the phone handler on the phone, going, and someone's interested in in the Francis Pritchard work, yeah. and they're like. Uh, three people have just put their hands up. It's going. At, they just basically re- record yeah, information, yeah, or, yeah, they, or, or yeah. is your system loud enough to then go through. Or do you? Speak? No.
1: Yeah. Usually, usually, um, like I think like from what I gather, you can hear what's going on in the auction in the background. But uh, yeah, usually the phone bidder will just repeat what's happening. Um, so yeah, like the the buyer who's on the line um, will have already spoken to us, so that we they've already we call them. So usually we'll call them about three lots before the lot that they wish to bid on, yeah. and they would have already spoken to us. So they already have a really good idea what the artwork is, yeah. um, especially if they can't see it. Generally, they might have requested some extra photos of it. So yeah. they have a very good idea about what the work is that they're, they're um, that they're bidding on. Uh, they probably would have already had a good think about you know the price that they'd be happy to pay. And so um, the process of phone bidding is yeah we really just relay. Uh, what's happening on the auction floor through to them and you know they 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 you know we execute the bid on their behalf if they if they decide you know th- to bid or when they decide to bid yeah. do you
0: stream the,
1: the yeah yeah we do uh and it's they're quite I, I love watching auctions online i mean i watch i watch lots of auctions online you know from all over the world so we stream it on our facebook page and also on our website if anyone just goes to our website during uh the you know when the auction is on yep. um dot com at you know 6 30 uh probably 6 to 8 30 6 30 to 8 30 on um the 28th of november it streams directly to our website it's so, almost
0: like watching the races it could you know if you're really into yeah, it
1: yeah it's, it's it's a fun thing and uh you know lots of lots of collectors um from around like a lot of collectors who uh buy at auction regularly um like to watch auctions even if they're not going to buy something in that particular auction because they kind of get a good sense for um, how the market feels and there's lots of collectors who like to stream in uh, and watch the auctions.
0: Are there any, is there a system out there that is like the TAB for art auctions?
1: Uh, in what sense?
0: And that people can bet on, like, I bet you that goes for this much. I bet you that goes for... Like a horse that is, that's an that interesting... A race.
1: Yeah, I feel like I don't know that there'd like, be enough people who'd want to do that, but... but what if
0: you submitted... It, it'd be
1: fascinating. Yeah, I don't know.
0: it'd be quite uh, fun. Even if you submitted the top five artworks that you think are potentially gonna... It could go either way and then offer them out for bet.
1: Yeah, I mean, that'd be fascinating. I mean, I know it's funny because... Like I was actually just thinking about this recently because you know that big David Hockney sold um, recently, and uh, you know there's a big following of there's a big following of um, sort of art art world people you know who use Instagram and I'm a I'm a big Instagram fan myself and yeah certain art commentators were offering you know bets on what it was going to go th- go for you yeah. know before the auction and like a lot of them were quite close which is really interesting um that would
0: be a fun little app to have actually yeah it would have to be very localized yeah obviously in new zealand it would be very localized but yeah, it's you know, a great
1: idea it's very fun
0: let's look at doing that sometimes Charles. yeah do you what do you think will be the biggest kind of coup at the auction
1: i am really happy with the current catalog i think probably for me um, I mean, there's there's a number of really standard works. I mean, for me, uh, a work that I'm very pleased to have is uh, we have a painting by Tony Fommerson called The Dying Fisher King from uh, 1981, uh, which is just a, a beautiful, beautiful example of his work. We've also got a, a series of works by Don Driver, who was um, an artist who sort of worked as an assemblage artist and I guess a minimalist as well at uh, certain times in his career yeah i mean there's a few things in the auction that you know um i think you know for for that are quite like major works and for what they are you know um are available at you know quite quite reasonable prices like for instance there's a work by uh french francis uprichard called uh brown sloth creature now francis uprichard um would be a familiar name because she was uh, one of the early winners of the walters prize a contemporary art award and uh, this brown sloth creature is sort of, I guess we'd call it the sister work um, to a work that was in her um, exhibition that won that prize called "Doomed, Doomed, All Doomed.
0: I love it. It's, it's, it's so elongated and it's so enduring, yeah, is it's, it, it's artwork? It's amazing. How it, big is it? Cause it it's, looks... it's
1: quite big. I mean, um, it's just over two meters long and maybe a meter tall. But, you know, the, the, the arms and legs, I think, are actually sort of malleable, you know, so it could be made slightly smaller or slightly, slightly bigger. And this particular work was actually sold um, originally uh, in New York, and uh, then it went to a collect- private collection in France before coming back to New Zealand. So it's, How it, interesting. yeah, it's got quite a, quite a, quite a, quite a long, quite esteemed history. Yeah. And you know, I think for what it is, you know, the, the acquisition price is pretty reasonable.
0: The auction is on the 28th of November at 6.30, but opening the previous Wednesday on the 21st of November. If you haven't seen the beautiful catalogue, just go online to Barbank, Nino, and you'll find everything you need there. That was an art podcast. Creative content from art